0: We have come to our final session on the book of Acts. And it falls my lot to share with you some thoughts about the last chapter of Acts. How many of you like to trace the history of your family? How many of you have used something like Ancestry.com or something like that? All right. We have traced the beginnings of our Christian family in the book of Acts. And we have come to the end of the beginning. I I, I just think of um, Malcolm Mungeridge has a little book called The Third Testament, where he traces some of the saints following the time of the New Testament. And he says the first testament was the old, the second was the new, and he has written the third uh, with no pretension. Um, We have met the people in the Acts of the Apostles, we have seen the places, we have seen the obstacles, we have seen the victories, we have gone through the story, and we have become familiar with the beginnings of our family. Jesus himself said at the beginning of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that indeed is what has happened. And so what we have in the book of Acts is, if I break it down into four convenient sections, We have in and these chap these divisions are not accurate they the verse the chapter divisions are not uh, very convenient in this sense uh, we have the beginning of the gospel going to Jerusalem and the major figure there is the Apostle Peter And Luke ends each of these sections with a summary statement. And the summary statement at the end of this section comes to us in chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's his summary of the gospel in Jerusalem. He ends it with a large number of priests becoming obedient. That's pretty remarkable. And then in the second section, which comprises roughly chapters 6 through 9, we go to Judea, Galilee, and so on. And the the figures there are Stephen and Philip, largely, but Peter as well. Uh, Then the church, here's how he ends it. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. It increased in numbers. And then we come to the third section, and the third section is the transition to the Gentiles. And the major figure there is not the Apostle Paul, the the Apostle to the Gentiles, but the Apostle Peter. Because Peter was the trusted one, not Paul, at this time. Paul was not trusted by the early apostles at first. Peter was the trusted apostle, and God used him. And I think in a, if you were in our earlier session this morning, you can understand why Peter had to be kind of converted to going to the Gentiles. He, he was hesitant, to say the least. <clears throat> Here's how Luke ends the section. But the word of God continued to spread... And flourish. And then we come to the last section, which is the gospel to Western Asia and Europe, and the major figure there is, of course, the Apostle Paul. And here's how Luke ends, just a little ambiguous, but here's how Luke ends that section. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. More than half the book is taken up with the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. In the second century, a church leader wrote a little book called The Acts of Paul. And in it, he had a description of the man Paul, and it goes like this. A man of middling size, and his hair was scanty, and his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were far apart. He had, a large, he had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, and his nose was somewhat long." Now, I, I, and, and I, we don't have any reason to doubt that description of the apostle. I can remember people from the 1960s uh, and, and could describe them, I think, in that way. Uh, <laughs> So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to survey our passage rather quickly, and then I want to go to other scriptures which fill in details about this period, and, uh, and I hope it will be helpful to us in fleshing out uh, the situation of the Apostle Paul at this stage in his life. I'll survey beginning at chapter 8, 28, verse 11, and if you would be kind enough, if, if you like, to turn to your Bible. I w- I'm not going to put the text up on the screen as I usually do, but I want to um, I read the text. Now, here's where we are. Before we begin to read, here is where we are. We're at the end of the story. We're at the end of Paul's uh, journeys, and this is his journey to Rome as a prisoner. And he starts out in the little island of Malta, and it's it's just a, you know a little dot below Sicily there, and it um, is where he spends some time after they are shipwrecked, and we heard about the shipwreck last week, uh, and they are shipwrecked there, and he spends some time there, and. Uh, History tells us that he pretty well evangelized the island. I mean, it, there, were, there were many converts after he left there. All right, now I'm going to read the text. After three months, 2811, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figureheads of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse. And stayed there three days. From there, we set out and arrived in Regium. And the next day, the south a south wind came up. And on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers he skipped over that whole area. It it, it wasn't a long period of time, but. It, uh, Paul did some evangelizing there as well. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Now I want you to skip down for a minute, just... Skip down to verse 30, and here's what we have in verse 30. i put it on the screen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Right, that's just a summary statement of what happened during that period of time. Now we go back to verse Seventeen. Paul is under house arrest. He doesn't have an ankle bracelet, but sometimes he's got a soldier tied to him, uh, which is probably a little in, little more inconvenient than an ankle bracelet. All right. Now we go back to verse seventeen. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, "My brothers." Although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but I was not guilty, excuse me, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. And we've heard all this before. He's speaking to the to the Jewish leaders. he's he's making himself one with them. He calls them my brothers. He talks about our ancestors. He's, we've got the whole, uh, th- this is characteristic of Paul. Luke goes on, verse 19. The Jews objected. He, Paul's still speaking. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make my, an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with that chain, with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening. How would you like to have a 12-hour sermon? He witnessed to them from morning till evening. except Explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made the final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. Now now remember, these words are from Isaiah chapter 6. Remember what happened in Isaiah chapter 6? That's Isaiah's calling to ministry. And this is God's prediction of what's going to happen in his ministry. These people are not going to listen to you. They're not going to... How would you like to stand up and preach with that uh, attitude? Verse 27. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. and otherwise, That otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And turn and I would heal them. Therefore. I want, this is back to Paul now. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. See? The gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Now that's roughly where Luke ends the story. We have another... Uh, step, but that's all that that's uh, the end of the story. I don't know whether Luke intended to carry on with Volume two from here, but I, I somehow just get the feeling that if, if if the gospel has gone to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth already, as they knew it, Rome was the ends of the earth. And this was Paul this was uh, Luke summing up. Uh, what he had to say about the gospel going out to the world. And then we come to verse 30 uh, again, and we read this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's a good ending to the story. That's a good ending. That's a happy ending. So we'll call this pulse preaching. He people can't. He's living in a rented house. He's got a guard, but he, he's got a, a captive audience, and he's got all these people coming to visit him. And so we'll call this pulse preaching. Now here's where it began. It began like this in Acts chapter excuse me, Acts chapter 9. um, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus at once he began to... He's just been converted. He was converted in chapter 9, right? Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. As soon as Paul was converted, he began to preach. This guy was called and gifted. He grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. That's Paul's preaching. That's where it began. And then he had to escape from Damascus. They put him over the wall. He had to escape from Damascus and he went to Jerusalem and Barnabas introduced him to the leaders in Jerusalem, so so Paul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And then he makes his three missionary journeys, and and we come to the point where we are this morning, and we read these words, he proclaimed the kingdom and taught about the Lord Jesus. Paul was a preacher from beginning to end. At the beginning, he's preaching in Damascus, and then he's preaching in Jerusalem, and then he's preaching all over the place in his three journeys, and then he's preaching in the house at at, uh, Rome. But there's a little more to it than that. There's also his written preaching, isn't there? There's his writings. And so I want to put that in uh, maybe for... alliteration we could call it his preaching on paper. Uh, He's delivering his message to the churches which have been founded. I want to lay out all the letters at first and then I'll I'll narrow things down. First of all we have, and and this is just a rough classification, uh, you you may classify them quite differently. we, We have the gospel of grace in Romans and Galatians, where he lays out the basics of the gospel in in, in the starkest terms. And then we have the life, the, the practice of grace, or the life of grace, in, in the Corinthian letters, where he, he's dealing with a lot of problems, and he's spelling out how the gospel affects our lives. And then we have the hope of grace in the Thessalonian letters, where we read about the, the hope of the Christian uh, and the coming of the Lord. And then we have the warmth of grace in Philippians and Philemon. I remember when I was a young man, I used to preach a lot from Philippians, because it was so attractive. It was so warm. It was so inviting. It was, it was a wonderful book. And I, I, that was my first favorite book of the New Testament. And then we have the depth of grace in Ephesians and Colossians. And Paul just dives deep into the heart of God and spells out all the ramifications of grace. And it's such an amazing exposition of the truth. And then we have the ministry of grace in what we call the pastoral epistles, 1 to 2 Timothy and Titus. And these give us uh, church practice, <clears throat> as Paul writes it to two of his young protégés. All right, here's my question. Which of these were written in Rome while Paul was living in his rented house under guard? Which ones? Anyone? Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now now observe this. What do you observe about my classification of the letters? I think Paul has a kind of a new warmth and a new depth to his written ministry. I'm not saying the others don't have warmth and depth, but I think there's a new dimension of warmth and depth in these letters that we don't quite see in the others. In the others, he's wrestling with problems in the churches. He's wrestling with with establishing the churches. In these, he's expressing the warmth of his heart in a much deeper way, I think, and, 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 and going deeper in the exposition of the truth. So, so we have these prison epistles. Uh, he, he's, had a, he, he's had a time of meditation and prayer as he's been held captive, and he's putting it to use in these letters. now. <clears throat> Let's look at these, if we may, about regarding this time in, in Rome. First of all, Paul's perspective. This from Philippians chapter 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, he does go on from that and say, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but that's all right. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul's, Paul himself says, my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. It has served to advance the gospel. Now, he does say another thing when he writes to Philemon from this situation. He says, it is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you from my son, Onesimus. He's writing as an old man. See, he's, he's, he has matured. He has gained this new. Uh, warmth and depth, but he's writing as an old man. He said, My, my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel, nah, but I'm an old man. I'm... All right? Now think about this. Well, let, 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 let's apply this for a minute. Paul is a prisoner, he, he's living in his own house, but he's a prisoner. He's restricted, but his ministry goes on, right? Do we ever allow our circumstances to hinder our ministry? Do we ever allow our circumstances to hold us back from doing what God prompts us to do? Paul used his circumstances to advance the gospel rather than to let them hinder the gospel. All right, that's Paul's perspective now. Paul's people. Acts chapter 28 says he welcomed all who came to him. But then we come to Colossians 4 and we read this. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. So does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. Epaphras who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. See how many people he has around him? He's writing to these churches, but he has all these people he wants to send greetings from. He names six people in this one text. Paul is in prison, but he's still leading a missionary team. Okay. And then we come to Philemon, and we read, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he wasn't, he was, he wasn't the only prisoner, Epaphras was also, sends your greetings, and so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. Okay. He said, he, Paul has all these people around him. We look to Paul as a hero, as as somebody who pioneered the faith. But Paul apparently never works alone. He always has people around him. He always has a missionary team working with him. In Philippians chapter two, we read this. He hoped to send Timothy soon, but in the meantime, He'll send their, their messenger, the Philippians' messenger, Epaphroditus, who almost died while in Rome, but Paul is sending him back with the warmest words of affirmation. He, said, he has these people around him and cares deeply for these people. And then we come to Ephesians chapter 6, and we read, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything, presumably, when he delivers the letter so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage you. Do you see what that is? That's relationships. That's the relationship that Paul has with that body of believers. And with this young man, presumably young man, Tychicus, whom he's sending to them with the letter that he has written. He sends out his companions, his teammates, as envoys. And he cares about people's feelings. We begin to form a picture of the apostle that I think is a little fuller. And then, one day, a young man appeared. And I don't think Paul knew him. I don't Paul wouldn't have had any reason to contact him to to be in touch with him but there was a young man who appeared and he said I am Onesimus Uh, I used I was a slave of Philemon and I don't know whether Onesimus stole from Philemon or whether he just owed him labor whatever it was Onesimus arrives and introduces himself to Paul. He has run away from Colossae, where Philemon lives. He's arrived in Rome. He's somehow got in touch with the Apostle Paul. And he comes into, he's invited into Paul's house. And it's such an amazing, amazing story. Paul sends him back to Philemon. It is, and I read this before, it is none other than Paul, the old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that we... He could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. See? There's, the young man has come. He has become a believer. And Paul sends him back. And remember what he said elsewhere in Philemon? He said, I send him back now not so much as a slave but as a, as a brother. Treat him as a brother. Paul had another ministry in Rome, not only influencing people, but praying. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read these words. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. Did you hear those words? I have not stopped. That pierces my conscience or this to the Colossians for this reason since the day we heard about you we have not stopped praying for you or this in Colossians 2 I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me personally Paul's Prayer was constant and contending. He was contending for the believers and he prayed constantly for them. In Ephesians chapter 6, he said, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That is so convicting. And then this, these words that we looked at before, for two whole years, this is the kind of ministry that Paul carried on. He, had, he, was, he was influencing people. He was writing his letters. He was praying for the believers. So this is the end of the beginning. This is the end of the first chapter of our history. The gospel has reached the heart of the empire. It has reached in the apostles' estimation the ends of the earth. We don't have any account of Thomas taking the gospel to India. We have not in scripture. We have it elsewhere but not in scripture. Uh, We don't know why the gospel didn't reach China until the 7th century. The great push of the, and this is one of the great questions that I want to ask someday. Why was the gospel pushed west and not east? The hordes of people in the east who could have benefited from the gospel in these early days, why was the gospel pushed west? Why were we benefited and they were not? I don't know. I don't know. That's a a puzzle in my... Maybe some of you can help me understand that. Paul influenced so many people around him. He prayed for the church. He enriched the church by his prayers. His writing enriched the church. Paul took lemons and made lemonade. Paul took his imprisonment and used it for the gospel. And I look around this body and I see so many who are carrying burdens, who have real needs, who have real troubles. And I look and I say, can we express the same faithfulness as the Apostle? I hope the Lord will give us the strength to be as faithful as the apostle who has left us, who said, follow in my steps as I have followed Christ. May God give us that kind of grace for his glory.